0861-843-384 or visit the dti.gov.za and learn how you can benefit from our incentive package. The DTI, working towards full-scale industrialization and inclusive growth. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live, turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. Eight minutes after eight. Thank you so much for tuning in. The African National Congress has taken a number of resolutions at its National General Council that ended yesterday. They range from government to withdraw from the International Criminal Court to Parliament investigating the feasibility of a media tribunal. Our senior political reporter Amos Pacho looks at some of the newsworthy resolutions. The ANC also wants tighter measures to regulate the private security industry. It is concerned that some private companies, foreign-owned, are more armed than the South African police service. President Jacob Zuma is facing pressure from the Western countries opposing the private security bill that will make locals majority shareholders in the companies. Chairperson of the ANC Subcommittee on Peace and Security, Nosivio Mapisa Ngakula. It's a phenomenon which all of us South Africans, not just politicians, should be concerned about. And of course, because they are so well organized, so well equipped, we found ourselves in a situation where at times they guard and secure government departments including the national key points. And any country which is uh, vigilant and which means business about the defense of their revolution cannot have the private security industry securing its national key points. The party also wants parliament to investigate the feasibility of the media tribunal. It wants to regulate the industry as it continues to face negative media reporting. National Executive Committee member Lindy Wezulu says the public will have a say. That's why it was strongly said that the parliamentary process must now kick in and be very vigorous so that there can be stability in this area so that people don't keep on asking us about something which we've been talking about for the past 10 years and never getting into it. And note also that when we say the parliamentary process, it's open. When it goes to parliamentary processes, understand that the public will also have the right to make inputs into it, and therefore that process will be open for uh, further discussion. On internal party matters, the NGC has given the Integrity Commission more powers to protect its image. This is despite some resistance from some senior leaders who want to continue with the innocent until proven guilty in a court of law principle. The party noted that more National Executive Committee members are facing corruption allegations. The Commission's disciplinary rulings are now binding and the party wants to give it more resources. Head of Campaigns and Elections, Nomvula Mgonyani, says the committee will not only deal with criminal matters but also members' conduct. The Commission is not going to work on the basis of what other people are saying. It will be on the basis of its own independent investigation and having interacted with another with the member affected or implicated and through that process you are then not going to be just focusing on what the court says because that is one of the things that has been raised and it is not only about criminal offenses it is also about how you conduct yourself it has also begged basic education minister Njimutseha to go ahead with the annual national assessments opposed by teacher union Satu. The National Health Insurance took center stage and the party wants more funds. The party also asked for an investigation into the Ingonyama Trust Act that allowed 2.8 million hectares of land in Guazul Natal to be held by traditional leaders while Zulu King Goodwill Zolitini is a trustee. I'm Amos Paro in Midrand. And on the forum at 8 this morning, uh, we are going to unpack, analyze, digest uh, what came out of the ANC's National General Council. And we are joined to do this by Professor Somantota Figeni, political and policy analyst with the University of South Africa. Uh, he joins us from our Cape Town studios. Thanks for speaking to us this morning, Prof. Thank you, Sakina, and thank you to your listeners. And hi to my colleague, fellow panelist. And uh, he is, of course, Research Fellow at the Helen Sussman Foundation, Aubrey Machikri. Thanks so much for speaking to us this morning. Uh, thank you and good morning, uh, Sakina, and uh, good morning, Chris Weaver. Let me start by asking both of you, first and foremost, for your impressions of the NGC and the ANC's introspection. How candid was it, Prof? Well, I do think that the first thing we should uh, say the ANC managed 
this particular process very well. You didn't have the scenes of people singing different songs, shouting or chaos. That in itself has to be noted as a positive, especially so close to local government elections. Then in terms of the self-introspection and candidness, ANC, particularly the president, was a lot more candid than previously the case. And that in itself is a positive. But the only thing that was missing there was a self-introspection amongst the leaders to say, it's not just the branch members or some lowly placed people. It's also us leaders who have created a very bad impression or examples in some of the cases of factionalism or corruption and so forth. Therefore, we are turning the corner. But the last point I want to make on that one is that ANC has to be very careful about being very good in diagnosis, very good in prescription, but that may lead to a point of saturation of diagnosis and prescription without actually delivering the medication or implementation. Because when you look a series of these reports from the previous conferences. These issues had been raised, albeit in a different form, and uh, it's a question of why have they not been implemented, or why does the NGC not sit down to say, we have implemented this one, but we experience problems. Can we advise each other midway? Aubrey? Well, I think um, ANC members and the ANC itself um, should be happy about certain things and uh, should be unhappy about others. When they compare the 2015 NGC to the 2010 and uh, 2005 uh, NGCs, they should be happy because I think in terms of uh, the policy discussion and debate, the 2015 um, uh, NGC was an improvement on the 2010 and 2005 NGC. You will remember that uh, in 2005, what the NGC did effectively was to launch the rebellion against uh, former President Tabombeki and uh, thereby launch the presidential campaign of uh, now President Jacob Zuma and effectively um, launched uh, the decade of factionalism that has wrecked uh, the ANC internally. And when you look at uh, the 2010 NGC, it, it looked almost narrowly um, at uh, thwarting attempts by the ANC Youth League then to impose a, a policy agenda of nationalization. Now, some of us, um, when we were asked about this uh, NGC, um, intimated that uh, it would probably be an NGC that will have some level of policy debate, but uh, that policy debate would be um, reduced to nothing more than proxy arguments for leadership and uh, political preferences. Now, of course, we were not in the closed sessions, so it's very difficult to be defi definitive in one's analysis about what really happened. But uh, for, from the information I have, there is very little evidence of uh, proxy arguments, or alternatively, those who tried to impose proxy arguments were defeated. Well, uh, let's just try and run through uh, some of the issues that were highlighted uh, very briefly because the listeners also want to uh, engage with the two of you. Uh, let's start with the disputed membership numbers. Now, what exactly does this mean when the African National Congress senior members don't seem to be able to come out with a common narrative around the membership numbers, Prof? Well, I do think that uh, the decline of the numbers is a fact but they were trying to limit the damage uh, in case of people thinking that everything is falling apart by saying that there are certain technical processes or even cyclical issues that explain the dip of numbers at a given time. But the problem with that is what we have also seen before. 
that if ANC gets organized around conferences, branches are energized, come to life around conferences or around elections, it would simply mean that it doesn't function continuously to consolidate its base uh, on a continuous basis, but rather it get energized around key moments or key events. In the long run, that cannot be sustainable. But at the same time, what it may actually have done is to shock the system so that people go back, recruit, and go back and try to deal with the challenges that they are facing. And uh, the opposition would be well advised not to take this as a trend that is irreversible because ANC is known to dig deep, especially close to elections, and try to re-energize its base. But of course, ANC has to be concerned about the deep structural problems within its own organizational political culture, which are causing this kind of disillusionment. Aubrey, just how concerned should the party be about this, given that um, it is not uh, the 1.2, 1.3 million um, uh, members who are paid up or perhaps now some of those have lapsed who actually make up the bulk of the ANC supported as members, people who are not card-carrying members of the ANC who bring them into power? Well, what you must remember is that the president shared the membership numbers and the drop um, in the membership numbers in the context of a candid and honest uh, account of um, ANC weaknesses and failures. Um, Of course, what did not happen is to connect um, these uh, weaknesses, including the drop in membership, to failures in leadership at different levels. And also what happened subsequently is that some leaders of the ANC spun out of control when they were trying to spin their numbers. Now, we, I, think, I don't think there's any controversy about the fact that uh, the numbers have dropped. The controversy is around what they mean. But what we must do is to distinguish between the membership of the ANC, which I think is sitting at just over 1.3 million, um, and the paid-up membership, which is sitting at over 700,000. And, and what we have seen, compared to the paid-up membership of 2012 of 1.2 million, is a drop of about 450,000. Now, this drop coincides with a, a downward trend in support for the ANC, um, especially at national level. Now, while the ANC remains dominant at national level, uh, the trend, however, has been that of uh, its majorities becoming smaller. And therefore, the ANC should be concerned about uh, two trends. One, um, a trend that might take root of numbers internally going down and external, externally in the electoral environment, numbers falling too in terms of uh, electoral support. Which has led to some very interesting uh, developments. Uh, For example, the emphasis of the renewal of a relationship with the black middle class. Uh, For a long time, we've been hearing that this is a very small um, constituency. They're almost negligible. They are just the chattering classes on Twitter making noise. Uh, Clever blacks are some of the labels that have been thrown around, Prof. And now suddenly uh, the black middle class are front and center again. Uh, precisely because this is quite a sizable segment of any society, particularly the black middle class in the last 20 years has grown exponentially. But not only that, it is the most influential class in terms of opinion making and in terms of the professional class that is either in the public or private sector. And it is the same class that the opposition DA is trying to target and make sure that they extract some of them. And, of course, any other opposition, be it EFF, they are also trying to make sure that they make gains in this particular class. And lastly, your first-time voters, in the main, you'll have your people who are tertiary, uh, you know, education students or first-time workers and so forth. These are people at the entry point of middle class 
and not only at the entry point of middle class, those who are students do have middle class aspirations, even if they may not be physically in that class. Aubrey, what's your take on that? And also, where exactly is the ANC losing membership? Well, um, the black middle class, in my view, yes, has grown exponentially since 1994, but from a very low base. Um, And therefore, the black middle class remains small, relative to the rest of the population, in particular to the rest of the black population. Um, The lazy analysis that has led others to conclude uh, that uh, they are nothing but clever blacks. To me, is lazy precisely because the numbers are not the issue when it comes to the size of the black middle class. There is no state and economy um, that can operate effectively by alienating um, the, the, the middle class because the skills you need for both state and economic capacity come from this class. And therefore, the relationship between the state and the middle class, if it is a a relationship of alienation as far as the middle class is concerned, uh, both economic and state capacity may be affected adversely. Um, And therefore, I think the ANC is worried because in its own analysis in the balance of forces discussion documents, it is very clear that it is not just the middle class that are abandoning the ANC, but some in the poorest of the poor, are also abandoning the ANC. But when it comes to the black middle class, it is the directions in which they are gravitating, I think, that uh, worry the ANC. Um, they are gravitating towards both the EFF and the, the, um, and the DA, and therefore pressure to the ANC is coming from both the left and the right. Now, where is the ANC losing uh, membership? That's very difficult to... Um, to answer because you can use the, the provinces as an indicator. And it's very clear that Guadalupe uh, Natal, um, in terms of uh, uh, paid up membership, um, has, has suffered the most. And there could be many reasons. One of the reasons could be that uh, in Guadalupe Natal, a big chunk came from uh, the IFP. And uh, another reason could be uh, what the ANC calls gatekeeping. In other words, to limit the number of people who qualify to be members of a branch so that the 50 plus 1 um, threshold becomes easy for the branch to achieve. Another reason could be that uh, as far as uh, networks of patronage and corruption are concerned, some would have liked to be part of these uh, networks, and uh, they were not and are not, and uh, being disaffected, have decided not to withdraw, I mean, not to, to, to renew their membership. It could, could also be about administrative problems. But remember, one, one thing that has not been said is that in the past, when Khalima Mutlante was the SG, when the state of branches uh, was said to be poor, some saw this as an attack on the SG. Some laid the blame at the door of the SG. But uh, I'm not sure whether um, in the closed sessions any attempt was made to blame the SG for the state of branches and the state of the numbers as far as membership is concerned. And I just want to run through some of the other issues uh, that um, we hope to touch on this morning as well. Let's look at the Women's League. And what was your impression of them uh, during this NGC, Prof? Uh, They called for 50-50 parity between men and women, uh, that the principle needs to be implemented in full in the ANC and in government. And they also spoke about preferential procurement rules that needed to be amended to make specific allocations for women enterprises, including cooperatives. What's your take on their stuff? and they're coming out at this NGC. I do think that they were simply reinforcing what was already there, but at least they were a lot more forceful even prior to the conference itself. But at the same time, this is also riding on the wave of those who are openly calling for the next president to be female and also on the anxiety that if you look at in some areas such as the premier's the gains that had been made, which were close to having 50% of women being premiers, was suddenly rolled back in a very dramatic fashion uh, in the last uh, you know, uh, election. 
the appointment of the premiers. So those are some of the signs which indicate that women have to be a lot more organized. But they pretty much got most of the things affirmed. It will be a question of how these are translated into action. And then uh, just to touch very briefly, and of course I'm sure you'll have opportunity again to speak to them as our listeners pose questions, but on the issue of uh, the ICC, Aubrey, um, this shift, uh, what does it mean for South Africa's shift in foreign policy um, and the implications for Africa more broadly? Well, I think there have been concerns that uh, South Africa is shifting to the east at the expense of the west. Um, I think the starting point should be that South Africa is not a province of any country. Now, some among us are, are, are quite comfortable with South Africa being a province of a Western country, uh, but are not as comfortable when it seems South Africa um, is a province of a country in the East. And, and sometimes I wonder about the honesty of the criticism um, of South Africa's uh, foreign policy. Um, another thing that we um, must consider is, is that when South Africa engages in international relations, what must be paramount is its own national interest. Um, and at times, aspects of that national interest um, will be compromised because sometimes you make compromises so that later uh, you advantage the national interest. In other words, you cannot be dogmatic um, in international relations and foreign policy. As far as the ICC um, is concerned, the decision that South Africa should start the process of withdrawing um, has implications for the continent. First of all, what it does mean is that where there have been human rights lapses on the continent, the, the continent must take it upon itself to make sure that it deals with such lapses effectively, even if leaders on the continent are guilty of such uh, lapses. In other words, um, it, it can be guilty of the same double standards that it accuses the ICC and others um, in, this, in this regard. Secondly, the implications are that South Africa uh, will have to mobilize not just around the issue of the ICC and perceptions there that it is uh, uh, partisan and uh, is partisan towards the interests of certain powerful countries um, on the globe. It also must mobilize about Africa's position in the world economy. Now, if they have, a, if they have the appetite to have a rigorous discussion about the ICC, they must also have the appetite uh, to have a rigorous discussion about Africa's economic interests mm. in relation uh, to the interests of countries in the East and the West. Because if they don't have that uh, discussion. It will suggest that they are selective in terms of what they think is important as far as Africa's interests are, are concerned, or they are being dishonest. So for me, the ICC discussion is only the beginning. Uh, beyond that, as a continent, we must have a discussion about maximizing our economic gains in relation to uh, other countries uh, on the globe. Well, we're going to come back and open those lines. 891 Tell us what your views are on the NGC that concluded last night. And uh, we're speaking to uh, Professor Somatota Fikeni Obri Machiti, and we'll open the lines uh, soon after this news break. Uh, it's time now for news headlines with Kumbuzile Tabete. Thank you, Sakina. Looking ahead in the 9 o'clock bulletin, as learners return to school today in Etuatua and Daviton in the east of Johannesburg, there's heavy police presence following recent gang-related violence in that area. But more on that story at 9 o'clock. Now here's a wrap of some of our top stories this morning. President Jacob Zuma has strongly spoken out against corruption among civil servants. He's called for audits to be conducted on their lifestyles to root out the scourge. Thousands of members of trade union AMCU have voted overwhelmingly for a strike in the gold mining sector. City Power has assured its customers that the expected SAMU strike will not disrupt electricity supply. Parliament must now decide whether South Africa should withdraw from the International Criminal Court. And the Iraqi military says its air force has killed several senior IS members in an airstrike. More news at 9 o'clock. Traffic on SAFM, your trusted guide to the road ahead.
Yeah, very good morning. We've been uh, keeping an eye on um, North Riding in Joburg this morning after this protest action. I believe the road has been reopened. You can get through on Vitcop, and that's our understanding. But uh, there is terrific pressure inside uh, the North Riding area. Hyperion coming down from Vitcop and uh, Bel Airs and Blanford. Those roads are really heavily backed up. Even President Fushia uh, around the sort of Olivedale area also under strain. And I'm sure that's just traffic that's diverted. Uh, also, Malabongwe is heavy coming in from Kaya Sand. And then uh, the run down through sort of Sharon Lee across the highway towards Stratham Park. Very busy. So a lot of people being caught out by that this morning. Uh, no traffic lights. Linden, First Avenue at Penelope Avenue. So very heavy as you try to get down towards the Victory Park area using that section of First Avenue. N12 still slow at Atlas Road. That's leaving Bodoni, driving through towards uh, Boxburg. And the R59 still heavily clogged up for anyone coming in from the uh, Val area. Uh, very heavy between Clip River Drive and Swatkop. Is that truck uh, stuck on the N12 East at Eldorado Park still there and still slowing traffic coming in uh, from the Lanasia side. The other uh, eye-catching uh, traffic this morning really is Midran. No traffic lights. Olifonsfontein at the N1. So there's a really big backlog from Blue Hills. Garden Road's under pressure. Lever Road uh, coming down from Roy Hayes Kral. That's very slow. New Road's busy as well out towards the highway. And uh, Samran literally standing still from uh, Roy Hayes Kral through towards the M1 highway. Paul Kruger into uh, Pretoria CBD through Capital Park. That's been busy. It still is this morning. Absolutely jam-packed. Durban still queuing on the N2 southbound uh, on that run in towards four-level interchange. Just a slow from Umgeni Road as you go down towards the uh, the interchange. The M41 out of Mount Edgecombe still busy towards the N2. Cape Town, long queues on the N7 south. Platycliffe Road down to the Bossman's Darm Road exit. It's a problematic junction that with the uh, with the traffic lights. And there's also a crash at that particular exit of Bossman's Darm, so it remains heavy. And big backlogs out of Somerset West towards Stellenbosch. No traffic lights on the R44 route. It's a busy one at Annandale Road. Rob Byrne, AM Live, Traffic Watch. Thank you so much, uh, Rob. Rowena Bird coming up next with Morning Talk. Hi, Rowena. The Industrial Development Corporation continues to facilitate job creation through funding medium to large businesses in key sectors. In 2014, we approved over 11 billion rand worth of funding, facilitating the creation and saving of over 20,000 jobs. This year, we want to do more to advance industrial development. If you have a business idea or are looking to grow your existing business, contact the IDC on idc.co.za. The Industrial Development Corporation, your partner in development finance. Into the last few seconds of the game, piling in two meters from the line. Ball comes out and it's a massive hit as you realize your wife's been asking you to fix the dripping tap since last weekend. Skips first center, into the half gap and it's still drip, drip, drip. And here comes your angry wife, buddy. Address those pressing issues fast. Access yellowpages.co.za from your mobile, tablet or via the app. Now with free call, bookings, quotations and detailed maps. Yellow Pages. Local reliable results in an instant. Sakina Kamwendo on SAFM. And this morning uh, we are taking a look at digesting, unpacking the resolutions from the ANC's NGC this past weekend. And um, uh, Prof, if I could just ask you one one more question before we go to uh, the callers on the line. Um, the uh, President Jacob Zuma came out very strongly um, in that anti-corruption message uh, to civil servants. But I, w- I, w- I want to quote what he said. The vetting process should be expedited. There should be a single vetting agency to vet all strategic strategically placed civil servants, those who reject promotions, even though um, it comes with an improved remuneration package, close quote. So this is not new. We've heard this before. There's also talk in there of the ANC wanting security cluster and uh, key civil servants to be rotated around departments and all of that around this message of corruption. What did you make of that? If I was advising the ANC, I would have said they should spend... 50% of the time in the commissions to ask a simple question. 
why have we failed in the past to implement most of these pronouncements? Because they come in different mutations. It's not for the first time. And the second one is the lack of courage of conviction in the main to deal with these issues. Hence, once decisions are made, they are surrendered into the bureaucrats to deal with them. And sometimes they suffer this subtle resistance. But also the turnover of ministers, when some of them are gaining traction, they are beginning to make inroads in their own departments. Then there is a cabinet reshuffle. And uh, before you notice that tend to empower civil servants over the political authority or executives because they are the ones with more institutional memory, with more sophistication to know how to circumvent whatever is being brought in. So ANC has to take a careful look. But the next last point I want to make is that political leaders should begin to say, we have created some of these problems. We are part of the problem. And therefore, what must we do to turn the situation around? As long as they look at the civil servants, they look in every direction without taking ownership to the extent of saying, even going back to 05, as Aubrey was mentioning, a new political culture emerged within the ANC factionalism and many other things whilst they were trying to resolve something else there were unintended consequences taking ownership at the very top level would signal deep honesty deep introspection and preparedness to change mm. uh, let's go yeah, yes Aubrey let me tell you why they must take ownership uh, the leadership of the ANC must take ownership for two reasons many in the current leadership benefited from the Bulugwan infectional dynamic and therefore elements of the ignominy of the, of the past decade. Uh, they must also take ownership because if they don't, um, then they continue to lose moral authority over their own membership. And this loss of moral authority is the reason why when the president, for instance, is candid about weaknesses, no one, uh, I think, in that NGC thought he was talking about them. They thought they were talking about other comrades, not them. Mm. And uh, Mark Lebea says, how do ANC leaders plan to deal with factionalism without being seen as being factional? Most of them are products of factionalism. Let's go to the lines, 891 Frankie in Pretoria, thanks for your patience. Good morning, Sakina. One critical uh, issue that came out of that thing uh, of interest is the is the resolution about the integrity uh, uh, committee commission to be given powers not only to to because you remember in the past they they, they used to recommend to the NEC uh, for the NEC to take a decision now they must take a final decision for the NEC to implement now the, the, there was a bit of resistance in the plenary from the I mean from provinces like Mbomalanga, Free State and and, and Northwest and, and you'd, you'd, you'd imagine that these delegates because that's where particularly there are problems of of, uh, of leadership within the ANC into disrepute, uh, including also issues of corruption and so forth. Now, I'm, I'm happy that this thing has been passed. The NGC resolved on it. The Integrity Commission, I mean, led by uh, stalwarts like in Room Langen, are going to be hard at work dealing with this issue now. We hope that this thing is going to contribute in, in bringing back the morale and uh, standing of the ANC in society. And we look forward to, uh, to that particular work. That is the most important thing in so far as I'm concerned. Thank you so much, Frankie. Dichaba in uh, Puta Dichaba. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I, I, I think the, NG, the NGC has point in a, with regard to, in particular, media freedom. Because uh, the ANC thinks that the, uh, the people that are having media problems, if you can check all the opposition parties except the DA, are complaining about media freedom. And the other thing that the ANC has reflected there, uh, the voice that it has shown, that it shows, it's it, it simply saying to, to us as citizens, media freedom, which is one pillar of the, of the democracy, is, it, it, it is doing us a favor. It seems that it's doing us a favor. The other issue that is also a problem with, uh, with the current agency 
Why is this phobia, is having a phobia to implement the Freedom Charter, to take the Freedom Charter as a policy document of the ENC? It, it, when it comes across the Freedom Charter and the NDR, it always postpones, it's either a or currently it's, it's the NDP. Why the ENC doesn't want to adopt the Freedom Charter? And your, and your, your, your analyst also has missed the point by saying uh, uh, um, Malema at that time was, was trying to impose a nationalization. It's there in the Freedom Charter. The ANC is operating more like a religious institution. Nothing else. All right. Thanks, Dichaba. Freddie in Pretoria. Hey, good morning. Uh, for me, my, the biggest problem I found with the ANC is that they, they, can't, they can't keep promises. You know, going to Bulukwa, I mean, they, this... Uh, NEC, or, or, which includes like uh, Blake Zimand, the Quartermandation, Fred and Zuma, they were in agreement that they will ban labor brokers. Even on the issue of Zimbabwe, they, they were in agreement that uh, the PF is, is abusing the people of Zimbabwe. Uh, after the after the Brooklyn conference, now they start to do their own thing, and when you try to 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 question that, you know, they will not listen to you when they are already inside. Today we are still sitting with the big problem of Zimbabwe, which has uh, which has even uh, disturbed the, the social life of South Africans. Many South Africans are not working, yet they make promises, President Zuma. So I agree with Dr. Somadudafiken when he said leadership doesn't doesn't look at themselves; they always push the blame somewhere. And when you look even the way President Zuma has been appointing people to positions, it's like we want people who will will scratch his back. Look at the police commissioner. He has appointed the police commissioner who we know she doesn't have experience. And now the crime level in South Africa and the police are not even to solve being able to solve other uh, other 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 cases. And even the way he was appointing the NPA, I think the leadership of the ANC needs to take responsibility uh, uh, before it is too late. As for me, the last election I decided not to vote against the ANC. I've been voting for the ANC for, uh, since uh, the two terms of President Mbeki. And when the political conference was coming, I was hopeful because I thought it was democracy when the leader, the President Mbeki, was removed because for me he was not delivering. And then when these people come, then and they start, we start seeing so many members of the president being the ones who, who, who are now becoming millionaires. I decided to take my vote somewhere. So they, 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 they must not be surprised with the drop of the electoral support. It is because they cannot keep promises. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Freddie in Pretoria. Uh, Derek, you're calling from Hamans Crow. Hello. Morning, Derek. How are you, man? Well, thanks, and you? Yes, ma'am. Uh, you know, the issue of ANC is uh, complicated because I can start from the youth league point of view. Uh, the ANC doesn't have the youth league anymore. And then uh, the, the, the youth league is, is controlled by the motherboard. And then you cannot tell me that the ANC is going to resolve the problem. Now the ANC is dropping down. The question is that who is going to, to, to converse for the ANC in the future? Because the youth league is disbanded and there is no youth league. Even, even uh, President Jacob Zuma knows that uh, there is no uh, ANC youth league. And now we are sitting here discussing about the issues that cannot be resolved. Because it is the youth that have to stand and voice and, 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 and participate in the freedom of expression. But if the youth are not given a platform within the ANC to stand up and, 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 and participate in the uh, freedom of expression, then we don't have, we don't have the solutions. You look at the, 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 um, when uh, they, they, they put the president of the ANC Youth League, he, sp- he said that if there are people who are not behaving according to the ANC, those people are not welcomed. That tells you that there is, a, there is a style of dictatorship that wants to be implemented within the ANC. And if people are not waking up, we all love ANC. There's no one who hates ANC. But the problem now is that the system that is put in place within the ANC does, doesn't show us the future. We don't have the future if the youth are not, are not, are not expressing their freedom of speech. We don't have the future if the youth is still arguing about the Freedom Charter to be implemented within ANC, and the motherboard is saying that we cannot implement that. So how do we reach the goals that we've been fighting for? 
The country has been fighting for democracy, and we've been fighting that the, 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 freedom, the freedom charter will be implemented. And none of these things has been implemented. There is NDC. Where are we going? All of these things, it's a chaos to me. You are right. Got you there, uh, Derek. Thanks so much. Tirileto uh, in Ventersdorp. Morning, Sakina, and morning to your guest. Welcome. Uh, <clears throat> I want to raise two points. One is the one of the fictionalism. The president of the ANC and the NEC of the ANC have been very much aware that there are this thing that is called the Premier League. And when he speak about fictionalism, he just put over the blanket. He doesn't squint and say, the Premier League, you, what you are doing, it is not right. Because you are perpetuating fictionalism within the organization. And that is what leads to member being bought, membership being bought. You will see on 2017, the members will be soaring up again. Because they will be going there to influence the decision. Well, the second issue mm-hmm. of corruption. I think the ANC has been singing this song. I, I, I believe it's now out of tune. It's no more to be heard by anybody who is intelligent and wise to hear the song that they always sing of corruption. If the ANC want to root out corruption, they should have, the head should have said, I will start with me and I will carry on with my ministers, my premier, my MEC, my uh, mayors, do all of them a lifestyle audit and put everything there, like he did. The, the head was very fast to go for HIV test when the HIV test was put uh, on open. Will he be in a position to say, start with me? Say, right. start with me and check. Uh, uh, I will put everything open and I will go to my ministers and my premier. That will help us into corruption. The song will come to an end. Thank you so much, Chirileto, in uh, Fentersdorf. Aubrey, and uh, many of my, um, uh, of our listeners on Twitter and other platforms saying the same. It should start with the president and his cabinet. Well, they are right, both both, both at the level of the state um, and, and the level of the party. Um, it, it does not suffice, suffice, I mean, uh, to do these powerful critiques of uh, the weaknesses of uh, the party if, amongst other things, you don't connect them to failures in leadership, as I said. Now, uh, Chris Ibe keeps keeps on talking about the fact that the ANC is very good uh, when it comes to diagnosing its weaknesses and is very good when it comes to positing solutions to problems, but is not as good when it comes to implementing corrective measures. For me, there are two reasons for that. The first one I've alluded to is that when the president and the HG stand up to talk about these weaknesses, you can imagine uh, a delegate at the NGC saying, he is correct, he is talking about the other comrades, he is not talking about me. In other words, no comrade at the NGC was guilty of the weaknesses that were being identified by the SG and the president. Mm. The second problem is that there is a lack of alignment between the, capa- I mean, between the state of the party um, and therefore the capacity of the party and the decisions it makes. There is also therefore a lack of alignment between the state of the party and state capacity, given the fact that ours is a political reality of single-party dominance. And therefore, the ANC, when it talks about its own weaknesses, when it talks about um, solutions, it must also talk about what it is, um, about its capacity, about the state of the organization that must change. Because the leadership question is very important. You see, societies, organizations in societies, and the state can adjust themselves to the quality of the leadership available to organizations and to society. And if that leadership is of a poor quality, society and organizations may adjust accordingly. 
And then just coming to um, the issue that Frankie raises around the Integrity Committee, uh, Prof. Um, not the first time we've heard this, uh, but now um, it is said that the Integrity Committee will be given powers to make decisions. But what exactly does that mean? What it translates to, which I think is a very important step, but it will be a matter of how it translates into action. In the past, the Integrity Commission would look into a particular member and they make their findings, but then they report to the ANC top leadership to say, this is what we found. Therefore, that decision was merely a recommendation and it could still be either, uh, you, know, you know, ignored or diluted somehow. But this time around, it is a public pronouncement that the Integrity Committee has met, and this is what they have found about this particular individual, and these are the decisions they have taken. So that's the distinction. But but let me just ask a question here. Who then gets to serve on this integrity committee, and and and, and how do they escape um, all these label uh, labels of factionalism and all of that? Because uh, just to quote Nomvula Mokonyane, um, I had it here just a moment ago about what she was saying about the people who serve on this committee who need to themselves be uh, have a clean record, as it were. Uh, certainly, it's mainly the veterans like Ubabumlangeni and also people like Frini Jinwala who no longer have an interest in terms of saying, I want to be appointed a minister, I want to be a premier, or who may, have, who may be less inclined to say, I want a tender, but rather they have that long memory of the organization and they've had some degree of integrity in their serving So that is the one part. But again, I want to emphasize this. This committee is constrained by the second aspect to the clause that was read out there to say, let it not be used for any factional reason. Each time there was this new power given, there was also this underlying caution which then opens itself up in the main, because anything now, whether you say so-and-so has stolen something, they say this is a witch hunt, it's another faction. Mm. And whether a person literally uh, has uh, very clear cases of bringing the party into disrepute, they have now found a way of coining the witch hunt and the factional battles into an explanation for everything. Well, um, unfortunately, in the interest of time, we need to move uh, straight along. Aubrey, the issue of uh, the media tribunal, a resolution has been taken um, to form this media tribunal. Again, not new, um, strictly speaking, but the media obviously is not going to buy into this. And is this the only solution to the problem? Because if this is a battle of ideas, Shouldn't it be more about persuasion rather than um, coming up with some policy framework to deal with the issue? Well, the question is, is it a solution? I don't think so. Um, and, and the reasons that were given at, at, at the media briefing yesterday are telling um, that there's too much negativity um, in the media. Now, that's not a compelling reason why you should have a media uh, tribunal. But, but more importantly, I, I think our attitude should be that we should not take for granted the statements of those who claim to be acting in the national interest, nor should we take for granted the statements of those who claim to be acting in the uh, public interest. Um, in other words, there are times, too many times for me, when the media is not as candid as it should be about its own weaknesses and about the fact that this thing they call news is not valueless, it's value-laden. And on the other side, I think sometimes uh, calls for things such as a a media tribunal um, arise out of a climate of uh, an ANC that is overly sensitive um, to criticism. The the solution lies somewhere um, between the idea that we must trust those who claim to be acting in the national interest completely and those 
who claim to be acting in the public interest completely. And then Derek raises a very important issue about young people, saying, you know, there's no future, basically. And this is a young country, yet with unacceptably high levels of unemployment, especially among the youth prof. How is this likely to come back to haunt the ANC? It's already haunting the country because you do have these young people. The unrest around universities is about resources. In some instances, most of the challenges, socio-economic challenges in this country are facing the youth. It is for that reason, and also the one other caller said the Youth League is not yet reorganized into that vibrant force. It's for that reason that ANC in some of the campuses has been losing to DA, uh, that is DASO, to EFF and so forth, because that youthful voice is not yet reconsolidated since the task team was formed and the new youth league leadership has not yet demonstrated that it has the hunger to voice forcefully some of the youth-related issues, even at a risk of disagreeing with the mother body. And this is different from being vulgar, disrespectful, but rather on policy issues. And that in itself, I think, is a very important issue. But most important, though, Sakina, eclipsed by most of the issues raised is the subject of the socio-economic issues. And that in itself seemed to have suffered as the issues of organizational self-renewal, as issues of international, uh, you know, uh, decisions around ICC and many others seem to take the center stage. Even NDP didn't get the center stage pronouncement that it ought to have had if it is a national platform. Well, unfortunately, that's where we're going to have to park it for now. I'm sure some of the other shows will continue analyzing uh, some of the resolutions to come out of the NGC. Thank you so much to our guest this morning, Aubrey Machikli, who's a research fellow at the Helen Suzman Foundation, Professor Somatoda Fikeni, political and policy analyst who's uh, with the University of South Africa. And, of course, to the team, our producers, Sisanda Jonas and Swaki Shweshwe Ku, Miriam Mwate, Mulebukheng Sibedi, Misho Shandlale, our foreign producers, Ron. Piri and Jake Mukoma, senior producers Lengiwe Mabaso and Lungile Mabaso and our technical producer Mark Preller as well as our executive producers Aubrey Sachia and Krivani Pele. It's 9 o'clock and time for news with Kumbuzile Tabete.